Hey everyone, this is Tanya. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Whatever I Watch. Again, this podcast is centered around covering topics related to social issues, entertainment, global news, latest trends, and even sports. So I look forward to talking to you today and I hope you enjoy listening. A few weeks ago, I participated in the leadership development class at West Point. For those who don't know exactly where West Point is, it's in a beautiful part of New York. I took a drive from New York City, Manhattan, to West Point, which is a little over an hour. And I did feel like I was in the middle of a scene of the movie Get Out because of all the trees, beautiful trees, that were surrounding us as we were driving down this solitary path. So it did give me get out vibes. However, the campus is amazing and so full of life and energy. And certainly for anyone who's an American and supports our military and our troops, it certainly makes you proud to have such an amazing campus that goes out of its way to support and train our army soldiers. I was there for a leadership development class and it was a three-day session and they took us through quite a bit of content related to how to be an effective leader, an empathic leader, a leader that continues to grow and develop. So those aspects were really great especially hearing those concepts from the perspective of the military and how they lead their troops and their battalion as it relates to different aspects of war, but also just on the day-to-day. We had a couple of really great facilitators. One was a colonel who was retired, and I'll reference him as Fred. And then we had another retired military officer, let's call her Leslie, And they both did a really great job in kind of taking us through the three days of discussion, which of course included a bit of a boot camp, which I will say a few weeks later that I am still somewhat recovering from. (laughs) It was fun, but I'm still recovering. On the last day of the session, the facilitators gave us the opportunity to ask them whatever questions we wanted to ask and to receive their candid response. And I knew I would get some good content from these two, primarily because I had asked Fred earlier in the week about his take on Russia's invasion of Ukraine and how he felt like the war was going to really come to a resolution. So he had a really interesting perspective on that. Also because Fred had a stint at the Pentagon, so he had some insider knowledge, I would say, around how the military operates, how they allocate their budgets, how they think about strategy. So it was a good conversation. We all threw some questions that they wrote on the board that they committed to answering by the end of the session. The easy and natural question that came to me was their take on extraterrestrial life. Do UFOs exist? Or as they're calling them currently, UAPs, which is Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. So that was the question I put on the board. Do UAPs exist? So funny enough, we actually ran out of time 
before they could actually answer the question. And I thought it was pretty funny because I personally think they avoided the question. But it was probably the most obvious question, the most entertaining question that everyone was really interested in hearing their perspective. And that was one of the few questions they didn't get to. There's a lot of interest and mystery as it relates to extraterrestrial life. And I want to explore that a little bit today. And I find it super fascinating that we live in an age, it's, you know, 2023, and there's still a lot of uncertainty about what exists, especially given all the technology that we have, the satellites in space, we have space stations, we've had trips to Mars, we have millionaires and billionaires traveling on their own dime to experience what space is about. And yet we still do not have a clear answer on what else is out there. The fascination is real. If you recall, back in 1938, there was a little known book that had a radio adaptation called War of the Worlds. And Orson Welles decided to broadcast a version of that book, The Week of Halloween in 1938. And the book premise was essentially around aliens invading New Jersey. And so it was a kind of a live reenactment, so to speak, where they actually had individuals who were playing the part of breaking news, this is happening in New Jersey. It's a pretty fascinating story if, if it's not familiar to you, because it caused a nationwide panic. You remember at the time, this was broadcasting on the radio, it was part of a show called Mercury Theater, and... By the next morning, this was splashed across all the newspapers because people were calling the police, they were calling emergency services because they were so confused and stressed out and scared that they were in the middle of an alien invasion. So if you consider back in 1938 how much of a panic that caused, you have to believe that a significant number of those individuals certainly felt like it was a possibility. Otherwise, what's the, I mean, what's the purpose of a widespread panic? So even back in the 30, in 1938, when we had less technology, now granted people were probably more prone to superstition and things that they couldn't explain. There was still a sense that we are not alone on this earth. And there's the sense that potentially there's something out there, whether it's hostile intent positive intent, something out there that could potentially come to earth to visit us. I am extremely fascinated by this topic. When I was a kid, it probably wasn't something that I really thought about all that hard. I certainly grew up on certain movies and series that sparked the interest. But when you think about the success of series like Star Wars, Star Trek, and how it's held over the years, there is certainly a sense that people want to believe that there's more out there than what meets the eye, than what we can currently see and experience. Even movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Alien series, E.T., which is what I grew up on, those resonate because it's fascinating to understand 
where do these beings come from? Why would they come to earth? Are they here to help us? Are they here to hurt us? Do they want our planet? Why haven't we met them before? So a lot of questions that certainly are left to the imagination. In 1993, a series came out when I was in high school called The X-Files. Now I had seen the previews for the show and I thought it looked pretty intriguing. And I made sure that I watched the premiere episode that came out that fall. And usually, of course, back in the day, new series dropped in the September timeframe, kind of like the back to school uh, genre. X-Files dropped on a Friday night. And I saw the first episode and I was hooked. (laughs) And the premise of the show, for those who don't know, was essentially surrounded by two FBI agents, Fox Mulder, Dana Scully. Fox Mulder was a believer. He had some history with the unknown, unexplained phenomena, especially within his family. I'm not going to go into the details. I don't want to do a spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it. And he was an FBI agent that essentially was relegated to investigating strange phenomena that was reported to the FBI. So he actually had a division of the FBI called the X-Files and his office was located in a basement of the federal building and people made fun of him. They called him Spooky Mulder because they felt like he was just odd and weird and was investigating things that weren't really of substance. Dana Scully was a newly assigned agent to him who was a medical doctor, rooted in science and rationale. And the two of them together was a bit of a yin and the yang because Mulder was the one that believed in pretty much any any and everything. And Scully was the one that was the non-believer. And what was great about the X-Files, it ended up going for nine seasons with two movies, two additional bonus seasons in the 2000s. But what was great about the X-Files is that it not only explored unexplained phenomena, it had a twist of government conspiracy aligned with it as well, which essentially the premise was that the U.S. government was in cahoots with the aliens and to allow them to conduct experiments on Earth, to allow them to observe and intervene, And it was some invisible contract that was mutually beneficial for both sides. And Mulder's passion and desire throughout the entire series was to prove that aliens existed and to also prove that the government was involved. And of course, that aspect of it just feeds into the conspiracy theorists who have had a long-term belief that the government has been pulling the wool over our eyes as it relates to extraterrestrial life. We all know about Area 51. We all know about, you know, lights in the sky where people have been able to capture vague pictures or video of flying objects that don't appear to be anything that would have been designed or built here in the U.S. or anywhere else around the world because of the way they travel the way they start and stop, the way they hover. So certainly all of those things were explored 
in the X-Files, including the shadowy dark figure, which was lovingly referred to as the cigarette smoking man, who seemed to have his hand in anything related to the government. And of course, tried to thwart Mulder the entire series uh, to get him off the trail. So needless to say, The X-Files was my absolute favorite series. It's still my number one. Even though I've, I've watched a lot of great series, it's still my number one series because of my fascination between the dynamic between Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. And then, of course, all of the great stories that they told over those years. I'll make a plug that The X-Files was not just about government conspiracy. They had a bit of a what they would call Monster of the Week episodes where they would explore one-off stories that were um, interesting and kind of fed into some of the folklore that we've historically been curious about. So for example, like the Loch Ness Monster, they explored that. They explored a little bit about magic. Does magic exist? Uh, So a lot of really cool things as well and interesting that the series poked at. What I wanted to really focus on for this episode is as we think about all of these vague references, commentary, thoughts throughout all of these shows and series and movies that we've seen related to alien life, this past summer was really the first time that we've seen direct questions and answers being discussed on live TV related to the government's involvement, how much evidence do we have, what's out there, and how does that relate to us? Over the summer, there was a a two-hour hearing that was held by the House of Representatives subcommittee that was focused on exploring what we know, and we being government officials, know about recent unexplained aerial phenomenon and the government's involvement in investigating slash reporting of these sightings. And the setup of this hearing were your typical politicians asking questions specifically to three quote unquote whistleblowers who were all military officials at least represented from the Navy and the Marines to talk about either firsthand or secondhand knowledge of the topic. Now, there were certain things that these military officials could say in an open forum, and then other specifics where they kept referring to the skiff, which I interpreted to mean taking offline in a private session to talk about some of the specific answers to the questions that the committee was inquiring about. And certainly they could talk about in open forum information that was considered unclassified and information that was considered classified. And internally I'm laughing because they talk about this all the time in the X-Files, by the way. (laughs) So it's kind of weird to see some of this play out. The other point that was interesting is that there was genuine interest from the committee members. They pretty much all believed that something was going on. 
They didn't know exactly what, but something was going on. And they were determined to get to the bottom of it as best they could. There's a couple of things I took away from this conversation. It, certainly two hours was a long time. A lot of the questions were repeated. Like I said, some of the responses from the whistleblowers were firsthand, but also mostly not firsthand knowledge. And there was a lot of detailed information that they couldn't share in open forums. So that was a little frustrating because I think it painted a bit of an incomplete picture of what they were trying to convey. But in a nutshell, what they wanted to share is that there were incidents that were observed, artifacts that were collected, research that's been done, but the government has dragged or remained silent as far as how and when and what they want to communicate. And I I feel like that was the general sense from the whistleblowers. I think there was also sense that something had to be done through the revelation of these facts in order to ensure national security and to make sure that the United States was adequately prepared for anything that might fall out from a negative outcome perspective. And I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully on this because I don't want to be inflammatory, but essentially, if you think Independence Day style, if we get attacked, are we ready? And certainly, if you watched Independence Day 1 with Will Smith, we certainly weren't ready. And it was a, basically a fight to the death and get lucky on sending a virus to the alien ship. Independence Day 2, no Will Smith, we were actually prepared, but not prepared enough. So a little bit of a catch-22 there, but... I think what they were wanting to say is that, hey, if we're seeing enough of these unidentified flying objects and we're not prepared to respond, detect, deal with what we see and what we experience, then if someone were to come in from a hostile perspective, we would be out of luck because we're just not prepared. From listening to the conversation and the responses, the interview questions, There's probably like three things that I took away from this. First, there is something out there, and I know that's such a general, generic statement based on some of the evidence that was presented. And again, this is all word of mouth. We didn't see any pictures. We didn't see any video. But I think we've all seen enough through, you know, different forms of media that there's things out there that might be slightly questionable. I think there's a general consensus that something's out there. Is it alien? We don't know. Is it from another country or another you know, superpower? Maybe. But I do think there's a general consensus that there's something out there that they're flying objects that are perhaps more advanced than what we have created from a US perspective that's able to maneuver and hover in different ways than what we have current capabilities of doing and has been cited enough, specifically they quoted military personnel as well as commercial air pilots, have seen enough to where there's evidence that something is going on. Now, quite frankly, you know, it could be something as easy as just an aerodynamic plane that we've never seen before, that someone's piloting. I mean, it could be, a, there could be a very simple answer to it. 
you know, elementary school and I had to put together the solar system for my science project. I really hated those styrofoam balls, but I spent a lot of time on those things. I think there's a sense that we have a good understanding of our universe. When you think about some of the fictional representations of what's going on outside of our universe, like Star Wars, for example, where you're seeing multiple worlds and people are able to travel between worlds and visit different civilizations, to Star Trek, where you know they're taking these long voyages in anticipation of meeting you know, new life and new civilization. We just don't have those capabilities currently. How fascinating would it be if we did have warp drive or other capabilities to kind of drive us to areas of the unknown to really explore what's out there? The consensus that something's out there is very clear. And the question is, so what do we do now? The other takeaway is only one of the individuals that were the whistleblowers had actually firsthand knowledge of viewing or seeing something that was out there. The others were either through colleagues or a series of interviews where people had direct access, direct knowledge. And it's a little tough when knowledge is held by a few. And I think sometimes it's hard to believe. You know, we're very much seeing is believing. So when only a few people have seen, it does beg the question, you know, how real is this? Or is what you're seeing an interpretation of something that you want it to be? Or is it all actuality what it is? With the minimal firsthand knowledge, and I'd actually be curious when they went into closed doors, whether they actually found or received enough information to where they felt comfortable that this secondhand knowledge is really holds water. I, I think that is fascinating because they got to the point where they talked about that there were essentially pieces, and I'm gonna use layman's terms, there was pieces of these aircrafts that were recovered, that there were biologicals that were recovered, um, meaning alien-ish quote unquote bodies that were recovered and being researched. So there's clearly through secondhand knowledge, there's some evidence that exists, but it's not being shared. I'm curious as to like, if the committee can kind of get to the bare bones of that. And of course, mentally, I go back to Independence Day, where they deliberately kept the president from knowing all the ins and outs of Area 51 and the existence of extraterrestrial life until it, they were kind of forced to loop them in because of what was happening. But I think, too, given how long this has probably been in play, let's say if we did have and recovered aircrafts, bodies, what have we done in all these years? That's always my question that I always ask. So it's been like, let's say, 70, 80 years. So what have we done? Have we learned anything? Have we applied any of the technology? I don't know. It's kind of interesting. You know, one of the senators actually asked, and it was a fair question, he said that if we did recover evidence of a crashed vessel, he's like, how odd would that be, given that these beings are supposedly light years ahead of us from a technology and a knowledge perspective? So they're crashing cars just like we crash cars. And I thought the whistleblower had a, <laughs> had a funny response, which basically says, hey, no matter how advanced your technology is, 
you're going to have stuff that goes sideways. You're going to have a, a percentage of people or a percentage of um, technology that goes awry. You know, hence plane crashes, car crashes, et cetera. Everybody knows how to drive. That doesn't mean we know how to drive well. So it kind of put this weird image in my head of an alien that kind of loses control of his spaceship and crashes, which seems like really strange, but I guess it's a possibility. The third takeaway I had from this is related to kind of the reporting and the investigative side of things. It was pretty clear through all the questioning and the responses that currently the government doesn't have any type of platform or mechanism to report sightings of these UFOs or UAPs in place that allows for effective tracking and allows for consistent follow-up and investigation. And I really think that seemed to be the purpose of this whistleblower conversation because I think the sense is, hey, if we're collecting you know, a list of sightings, if we are putting our heads together and identifying similarities, patterns, locations, wouldn't that put us in a better position to, one, defend, to perhaps respond, um, but also would make us a little smarter on what the situation might be or what the intent of these third parties might be. So to me, that seems like pretty common sense. There's certainly a sense that the reputation of someone that has reported you know, extraterrestrial or UAP phenomena might be viewed in a different way. But I do think this is very different from someone that says that they've been abducted, because I think that's really where they're going with this is, you know, you have people that come out and say, hey, I was abducted by aliens and, you know, they probed me and then they brought me back. And I think a lot of people feel like that is completely far-fetched. However, if we're saying we're seeing something, we're seeing some kind of aircraft, we're seeing something that's unusual, and we want to report it, we want to track it, we want to compare it, we want to get a sense for where it might be coming from, to me that's a different sentiment than a traditional abduction. And I think that's the point they're trying to make is, look, we're advanced enough that we should be able to at least track and report these things because it's coming from a variety of places. It's not just military. Now we've got commercial pilots who are in the air, they see things that are strange and don't know how to identify it or report it. To me, that's just straight up common sense. And that's probably the accountant in me trying to quantify and collect data and information. But to me, that just seems pretty straightforward that you would be involved in doing that. A couple of interesting things I wanted to highlight that was mentioned in this session as well is from first and second head knowledge, there was discussion of seeing a dark gray, a black cube inside a clear sphere. So, you know, I mentally have this picture of this kind of futuristic triangle that's got these things inside. So that was described as one of the objects that individuals saw and were interpreting as being something that was not of this world, uh, which I find pretty interesting. Uh, someone else also said or asked the question around multidimensional, interdimensional aspects of what people are seeing. And is that real or is that something that could be a part of this? And of course, anytime someone says something about dimensional, I think immediately the Avengers, because they're the ones that went to multi-dimensions and 
there's the multiverse and all this kind of stuff. So I um, mentally I went there, but I think his point is, and I thought the response to it was really um, simple, is that, look, we see things through 3D, we see things through 2D, there's obviously a difference on how you might view things based on what that looks like. So think of it in those terms as opposed to something that's a little more sci-fi related. And I will give props to one of the politicians who said, look, we're trying to ground this in facts and science. And I do agree that if you start there as your starting point, um, instead of getting swayed by conjecture and opinion, I think you'll arrive at a good place because there are basic scientific laws and principles that have to be followed, especially here in this world that we live in, this earth that we live in. But if you ground it there, I think anything incremental to that you know, allows it to be more plausible. There was one question asking if we basically have made contact with extraterrestrial life. So this is one that they took offline and said, hey, we can't speak about it in open forum. But they did confirm that certain biologicals were collected that would support that there at least has been interaction, maybe not contact from the sense of you know talking or communicating, but at least some level of reporting. There does seem to be some federally funded programs that support what the whistleblowers were describing. One referenced a crash retrieval program that seemed to indicate that if something were to land voluntarily or involuntary, that there is a process to retrieve those artifacts. They also referred to a reverse engineering program which seems to indicate that if tech is retrieved, that is at a higher complexity than what we currently have, and I say we, United States, then there is a program that would try to reverse engineer the tech to see if we could recreate it. So I found that really interesting. Now, of course, I didn't hear anybody reference that the X-Files exist, which of course I think we're all dying to know. I actually have a friend that works for the FBI and I used to ask him that question all the time. Like, couldn't he find the X-Files division for me, please? (laughs) I was always met with a very hard stare. So I don't know what that means exactly. I think what we can confirm is that there's some interest, some discussion around these topics. It may not be in the basement of the FBI, but it's certainly come to the forefront to where people are starting to pay attention and notice. So overall, it was an interesting session. I think it was a little weird to see a live conversation around extraterrestrials or even though they were using very proper terms like the unidentified aerial phenomenon or one of the aircrafts was referred to as a tic-tac because of the way it looked. 
So I, I think it was kind of funny that they danced around this a little bit and tried to keep it you know, as formal as possible. One of the committee members actually said that he was enjoying the conversation because it's something he had been dreaming about since he was in high school. <laughs> I think many of us, many of us can say that. This is not the end to this conversation because as you know, I have to have a, I probably will need a whole session just on the X-Files to dig into a little deeper on what that was about and some of my favorite aspects of that show. But what I loved about this as well is it pretty much brought a bit of a forbidden topic to the surface that I think many people are fascinated about. Whether you believe there's life beyond our universe or not, it's certainly fascinating. And I, I think given how much this genre has generated, when we think about the monetary value on the entertainment side, all the conventions that people go to where they dress up in costumes, the staying power of some of the iconic characters and movies and TV series that we all love and continue to make. And Hollywood knows that this is a treasure trove of value, so they continue to churn out movies and series related to this topic. I think it's also pretty fascinating that we have different takes on what alien life would be like should we encounter it. I mean, if you think of the world of the worlds scenario where these are hostile beings, or if you think about, you know, the I know I know many of you may have remembered the comedy series Alf where Alf came from another planet and he was cuddly and adorable. And I think he ate cats too, but, <laughs> but he was a friendly being, Roger from American Dad, who crash landed on Earth and ended up living with the CIA family. So there's so many depictions on what extraterrestrial encounters would look like, both hostile and friendly. I'm torn on what I believe. I do think that we would be naive to think that we're the only ones in this universe and beyond. I think that would be naive. I, would, I do like to lean into my imagination and think that perhaps one day when we explore the stars that we'll encounter the vast greatness of what else is out there. I think whatever your position is, Explore the facts, take in the different points of view, watch a few movies and TV series to stir your imagination, and come to your own conclusion. I don't think this is a right or wrong answer. I don't think we'll come to any type of formal consensus or conclusion anytime in the near future. But I love the thought of just knowing that the truth is out there somewhere, and one day we'll find it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Whatever I Watch. I hope you enjoyed today's content, and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Until then, take care of yourself and each other. <laughs>